right, good morning. How you guys doing this morning? Well, I hope. Yeah. This, without hours, you lost this hour, so, right? It's not great, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, <laughs> Simeon, you're like, ah, I missed it. So, hey, but thank you for being this morning. I'm Nate Westfield, the creative arts pastor here, uh, for being in the room and online as well. Thanks for joining us there, too. Uh, today, I do get the, the honor and privilege to kick off our new sermon series entitled The Road. And uh, we're just kind of following uh, Jesus and stopping in a few, few places where he stopped on his um, road to the cross and eventually to the Emmaus Road. And so today I uh, get to begin um, where Jesus uh, began his ministry, and that was with baptism and John the Baptist. And so we'll dig into that a little bit more uh, as we get started. But uh, what I really wanted us uh, to do first was just to read um, from the book of Mark, the first chapter. We're going to read the first 11 verses, and this is um, the baptism of Jesus. So uh, if you want to open up your roadmap, the Bible, um, uh, the physical Bible or the Bible app, or the words will be on the screen as well. You can open that up and we'll read this together. Again, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So let's just uh, take a minute here, let's pray, and we'll get into this. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, you have promised that your word will never return void, God. And as we hear these words today, as we um, discuss them and talk through them, God, I just pray that your spirit would impress upon our hearts and our minds what you'd have us to hear this morning, and that, God, we leave today changed. We leave, God, today to go out and do your will. God, we thank you for this gift that you've given us, and we thank you for your love and your mercy. Amen. So as I was reading this and reading through the four Gospels, there's a little, bit different, little different accounts of this experience with uh, Jesus and John the Baptist. Each, each uh, writer takes his own, gives his own perspective on what happened, and uh, I'll include some of those as I go on here. But one thing I did love in, in the story is, is how you hear of Judea and Jerusalem. They're all going out to, to John, right? They're, they're rushing out to John um, to seek this repentance and this baptism. And it made me think of uh, being in a mob, right? So I, I thought maybe not the mobs we've seen on TV lately, but mobs like in a good way, like you're going out to see this superstar, right? Like Michael Jordan's exited the building and everybody's like, Michael Jordan. And it's just like, right? There's a mob, right? And so, uh, or maybe, maybe, maybe you like Muhammad Ali. I had this great experience when I was in Chicago. I come out of the Water Tower Mall on uh, Michigan Avenue and there's this limo that pulls up and Muhammad Ali steps out of the, out of the limo and, and he's just kind of walking slowly and I'm going, that's Muhammad Ali. And then everybody else, Muhammad Ali! And whoop, right? There he is, right all around him, right? And so just this big crowd, a mob that just rushed these players, right? 
Well, that was a great experience. I wasn't part of the mob in that experience. I was like, whoa, these people are crazy, right? Uh, but, but it was neat to be able to say that he was there, right? I was there. But I had a better example of my own personal life is when uh, Camden, my middle son, and I, we went to a Cubs game a couple years ago. Um, and we uh, decided after the game that we were going to go out to a spot um, at, that we found out from the Eaton family. Um, they told us, hey, there's this great spot where the par- players, where they get in their cars, there's a parking lot that they park in and they exit. And there's an exit that you can stand on uh, uh, by. And as they drive out, they might stop, roll down their window and sign an autograph, uh, an autograph a ball or a jersey or whatever it is, right? So Cam and I, we go to the game. The game's over. We go out to the spot. And here's a picture that we got to experience, right? Right here. Um, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Keep that up there. But what was funny is during this whole time, while we're waiting for these players to come out, people are telling stories of, hey, last time I was here, you know, so-and-so um, rolled down their window and I finally got that autograph, right? Um, or they're telling stories of other parks they've been to and like have gotten this signature and this signature and this photo. And they're all telling all these stories. But when these cars started coming up, it changed. Everything changed. Nobody was nice anymore, right? It was mob. We got to get on the ride. They're coming. They're coming, right? And so I fell into the victim mentality because my son now wants an autograph, right? So I'm going, okay, I got to do this. I got to get Cameron up there. So we see this car coming and we see the window starting to go down. Like, go, Cameron, go, go, get up there, get up there. And he just, and Cameron, he's my strong-willed child and I love him to death. He's like, yep, I'm going to get there. And he did. And there he is. He's the little guy right there who got right in the window. And I'm like, yeah, he did it. We did it. We succeeded. And I appreciate Albert. If you're watching Albert, thank you so much online for signing the ball for my son because that was a great experience for Camden to have and and for me to have as well because we got there, we got the signature, and being the little guy, I think Albert's like, yeah, I remember being that kid. I'm going to sign his ball first, right? And so he did. So that that was a great experience. But when I read this in John, right, and you, you read it from a different perspective, you're like, that's what Judea and Jerusalem was doing. John, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, term is in some ways was a celebrity, right? He was the one that everybody was going out to because all of Israel at this time knew that there was a prophet who was to come. John points to himself being that prophet from Isaiah, saying there'll be a voice crying out in the wilderness that will make straight the path of the, of the Lord, right? And this is who John was. Now, I, he wasn't a celebrity as in what we think about, right? And he wasn't doing this so that he could get his name known or that he could sign, a, a, you know, a tablet, a, a, like a stone tablet, right? Or, or, or something of that sort. He was doing it because he was pointing people to God. He was pointing people to repent. And not only be repentant, but also to be baptized, to be cleansed and to be washed, Right? And to be expectant of who God is. And that God is going to send his Messiah. And so it's a great picture for us to see that all of Judea and all of Jerusalem, as we read in Mark 1.5, it says, And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. See, my experience, Cam's experience with Albert Amor was a, was a, was a fun experience. But Albert Amor didn't provide anything for us other than a signature, Right? John was pointing people to repentance, that they needed to turn from their evil ways, their wicked ways, and they needed to be washed in the water. They needed to be cleansed because there was one that was coming that is greater than he that was going to take away the sins of the world. 
So they needed to get ready. They needed to get ready for the coming Messiah. But then it made me think about, well, what do we know about John, right? What do you know about John the Baptist? We've, we've heard his name. You know, if somebody doesn't know the Bible, they might be John the Baptist. Is he one of those Baptist guys, those church guys, right? No, it wasn't. No, it's not what he is. He's John the Baptist. He actually baptized people, right? He, he put them in the water, dunked for Jesus, right? He dunked them all the time, right? And so that's what he did. That's what he did. But John has a really cool story in Luke that you can read about and how he came uh, to earth and how God actually uh, just blessed his mom and dad. And I want to go through that real fast. See, John was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they were both righteous. This is what God's word says in Luke 1.6. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. John's father, Zechariah, he was a priest, right? He served in the tabernacle, and he served God's people faithfully. His mother, Elizabeth, was relative to Mary, that means John and Jesus were relatives. Born to Zachariah and Elizabeth in their later years, right? We find and read that Zachariah and Elizabeth were older in years. And, and what, what comes of that is, and when the angel Gabriel foretells Zachariah of John coming, he doesn't believe him, right? The Gabriel angel says, hey, your prayers have been heard because at the time Zechariah was in the tabernacle, he was selected to go into the tabernacle to offer prayers for the nation of Israel. So people are waiting outside. He goes into the tabernacle to offer prayers. Gabriel comes and tells him, hey, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John, and he's going to be a great person in this world. He's going to lead people to the coming Messiah. And Zechariah goes, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm old. I can't have kids. And Gabriel says, okay, because of that, we're going to make, God's going to make your mouth mute and you won't be able to speak until your son is born. You will give him the name John. And when that son is born, John is born. Zechariah has to write down his name, John, because they want to name him after Zechariah. And in the end, he writes down the name John and finally he's able to speak and rejoice because of the birth of John, right? So even, even though the prayers of him and Elizabeth were of a child, even when God gave him the opportunity, he had a hard time believing, right? But God still gave grace and mercy and still let John be born because he needed him to do it. But one thing I love in Luke 1.17 is this is what Gabriel says at the end. And this is why John was to come, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. See, John the Baptist ended up becoming a herald for Jesus, right? I think about the days of old, the herald standing out with the big megaphones proclaiming that, hey, repent, be baptized because the King of Kings is coming. The Lord of Lords is coming. The Savior of the world is coming. And he heralded this out to the nation of Israel. Maybe even the fact that John the Baptist was closing a chapter. He was the final prophet, the final priest of the old covenant, right? He's wrapping that up. God's wrapping that all up in John the Baptist because Jesus is the new covenant, right? He's the prophet uh, for us for the future. He is our uh, priest forevermore, right? But John was the final voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. And here Jesus stands in his place. But it's funny because we get to the next part of the scripture 
And we see that not only are the mobs going out to see John the Baptist, but who else ends up going out to see John the Baptist? But Jesus. Jesus makes his way out to John. In John 1, 29 through 31, we read this. The next day, he saw Jesus, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for the purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. See, in this moment, remember we're talking about John kind of being the popular one, the celebrity people are going out to. He's pointing people to Jesus. And now in this moment, Jesus now becomes the person that John points to, right? And I love the, the verbiage that he, he uses um, here in verse uh, Mark 1, 7. He says, and he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. See a different perspective from Matthew here back to Mark here that, that John says of whose wor- who I'm unworthy to stoop down and untie. And I, and I love the picture of these the sandals here. Um, I, I wanted to show it because what it gives us is a picture, a representation of what the sandals may have looked like. And John was saying about Jesus in this context that I am lower than a slave in comparison to Jesus to untie his shoes. A slave who would have been the person that would take care of their shoes and their feet because the Jewish people of the day, that wasn't a job of theirs to do. They wouldn't do it because it was dirty, right? It was unclean. It wasn't right. And so a slave would do that. So John was saying, I am even lower than a slave when it comes to Jesus. I can't even be that to him. John was putting in perspective that Jesus is the greatest and I am the least. And as we get here to this portion in the scripture, there's a question, couple questions that come to mind. As Jesus is entering the Jordan, John makes another observance that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't need to be baptized, does he? Because it's for repentance, right? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be cleansed. No, he needs to be baptized. John needs to be baptized because he's the one who's the sinner, right? He's the one that's filthy and dirty. He's the one that's lower than a slave, right? And so he looks at Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John then consented. Again, but Jesus doesn't need to be baptized, right? He's perfect right? He's the Lamb of God. Why does he need to be baptized? If baptism is an act of repentance, why did the sinless Son of God have to be baptized? Is it just symbolism? Is it just like maybe what some of us parents do for our kids? I did it just because I needed to be an example, right? Maybe. But I do think it's deeper than that. I think it's bigger than just an example. That's part of it. But I think it's bigger than this. Jesus gets to begin his ministry with a physical symbol of what is actually going to happen to him on the cross, right? And in our world, we take our sins very individual, right? 
When I go to God oftentimes, I say, God, forgive me of my sins. God, I, I did this, and I did this, and I did that, and God, forgive me, I yelled at my wife, right? God, I, I yelled at my kids today, and I lost my cool, right? I thought some thoughts I shouldn't have had, right? I did all these different things. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Forgive me of these things. But how many times do we pray, God, man, my, my school really needs you. My government officials, God, I know they don't all believe in you, but they need you to intervene in their life. They need you to do something in their hearts and their minds because we're going down a path that's so far from your word and your ways that, God, only you can change their hearts. Only you can change their minds. I think we do that sometimes. But what we see in the Old Testament is we see a lot of times that the prophets, Nehemiah, Daniel, Isaiah, David, a lot of those guys, they would say those prayers for their nations. God, forgive us. I think of Josiah, the king, when they actually found, right, the word of God in a, in a wall and they opened it up and they began reading it, Josiah said, we all need to take a break. We all need to get on our knees and we all need to repent. We all need to get on our knees and repent because we're all sinners. We're all wanderers from God. We need to get back to who God is, right? And so we see this as, as, as individuals in the Old Testament, they're not only doing repentance for them, but they're leading their nations and their communities into repentance together. This is what Jesus is doing. He's taking on the sins of Israel and the world, and he's saying, you know what? This is what's going to happen. This is what he's showing, a picture of what's going to take place, that I, the perfect Lamb of God, not me, Jesus, I'm just referencing, right? But that he is going to take on all the sins of the world and that he is going to be buried, but that he is going to be resurrected. And in that, he's going to bring new life. He begins his ministry the same way he ends it, right? And when it comes to the cross and death and sin. But it doesn't stop there either. We read this in Mark chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I think this is a beautiful moment, right? The sky splits open, the Holy Spirit is descending on Jesus like a dove. Jesus is out of the water and we hear God the Father. So we see all three in the same place, together, beginning a new work, a new covenant that Jesus is going to put into place. The word used for that word torn is called schizo or schizomonost, right? I'm not good at pronunciation. So, um, But I love what it says. It says torn or ripped apart, split open, rent, right? And so I love the picture that that, that the Gospels paint here for us, right? They paint this picture of the sky being ripped, torn open. So showing the strength and the mightiness of God, but yet at the same time, the gentleness of the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of a dove on Jesus, right? And then we see the sacrificial lamb, Jesus out of the water. We see all these pictures here together in one place. It's a beautiful thing to be able to see that together. But then here's what in Mark 1.8 Jesus reminds us, God reminds us of why he also came. 
John says this, I, John, have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, right? And so in that, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, that now is accessible to all of us, right? When we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes, lives inside of us. Because what had happened before that is the Holy Spirit had usually operated within one individual or a small community of individuals in the Old Testament, right? The prophets we read about, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Daniel, here, John. We even know that John was born with the Holy Spirit, right? He was born with the Holy Spirit already functioning in his life. But God, Jesus, after his sacrifice is going to make available for us the Holy Spirit to all of us. And it's a beautiful word there that they use that's schizominous, or however you want to pronounce it, um, because what happens there when God tears the sky open also happens the same day that Jesus dies on the cross. The veil in the tabernacle is torn. It's ripped apart. And that's a perfect symbol that our God's holiness, his Holy Spirit now is available to all of us to empower us to go out and do good works to live in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit so that through us and in us, God can do mighty things. But not just physical works that we see physically displayed in our world, but also things that we get to do on our knees. The Holy Spirit works in us and through us. He guides us, he leads us motivates us, keeps us in check, right? Things that we wrestle with, the Holy Spirit gives us the authority to claim victory in our lives. Because Jesus paid the debt. He paid the price. He was the sacrifice for us, and he made that available to us. That's why it was so important for the disciples to wait before they were sent out. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come, right? And, it's, and, and when, you, when you study the scriptures and you see that Jesus died on the Passover and that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and you see how it's all perfectly laid out, you see just this, this, this perfect plan of Jesus giving us everything we need to tell people about him. Everything we need to succeed in our own lives over sin. He's already defeated death. He's already defeated sin. And so we know that we have this hope in him, Right? the strength in him, this power in him. It's nothing of our own might. It's all in his goodwill and his good might and his good works. But he uses us to fulfill that. But what does that mean for us though, right? Well, I think first and foremost, I think something we can do as a church, and it's going back to this mob mentality is, and I think a lot of times I know I do good at it for moments, and I, I do bad at it for others. And I didn't say this first service, but I, I, as I thought about it, I'm going like, you know what we need to do is we need to mob God in repentance. But not just for ourselves, but also for our own church. Not that we've done anything wrong, but that we just make sure that we are as clean as we can be before God, right? That we do it for our schools and for our government officials. That we begin to establish in our own hearts and our own minds that God, let us be a people of prayer, of repentance, that we are asking you to intervene in our world because our world is going to hell, right? There are people who are going to hell right next door to you. 
right across the street from you, right, in your classroom or on your job or the people you see on Zoom every day, wherever they're at, there are people that are going to hell each and every day. And God has given us the best gift in the world, the Holy Spirit, to help us be his witnesses. But oftentimes, I find that we can't argue people into heaven, but I do believe that we can pray that God intervene in their life. Because God does the work. All we're supposed to do is point people to God, but he does work. Chris last week talked about the spiritual battle that we fight. There is a war that is waged every day and the devil isn't stopping, right? He is, a, he is on a mission to take as many people down with him because he doesn't want anyone to have what he did have at one time, right? When he was with heaven and God with heaven. He's bitter. But God has given us his gift in the Holy Spirit, right? And so we can move in him. We can do great things through him because of what he's empowered us to do. But we need to repent and we need, we need to pray more and more for the people around us. I think about a lot of the great moves of God over the history. Oftentimes they never happen just like that. They happen because there was a group of people that were so hungry for God. They were so desperate for who God is. They were so desperate for change that at any cost, they would intercede in prayer and thought of God more and more and more. And as they prayed, and as God tore them down, and as he, he, he rebuilt in them a new heart, and a new mind, and a new spirit, as he, as he broke down the walls and the addictions and, and the sin in their own lives, that began to permeate through their own beings, and they began to talk to other people, and they began to see in them the work of God the fullness of God and go, what is that hope that you have? What is that that you have? And it gives us opportunity then to say, I have Jesus. Because this world, it'll fail us time and time over again, but Jesus never does. We can be at the bottom of the barrel and no matter what, we can still feel amazing peace and hope and joy. because we know it's a short-term assignment to an eternity with heaven, in heaven with Jesus. So I think we need to repent. And man, we need to intercede for people like we've never done it before. And we need to get desperate as a church, as individuals, as a community. We need to get so desperate because God, we need you more and more each every day. And if I spend 30 minutes watching the news or I spend 30 minutes watching TV, there are so many things that we can point to that was that fault or that person's fault or their problem or their problem. It doesn't matter. It's the devil and he's wreaking havoc and only God can make that right. And our only response needs to be that we need to pray, God intervene, God step in, 
God, bring revival. God, bring your spirit in such a mighty way that nobody knows what else to do but to come to know you and you alone because you're the only thing worthwhile of knowing. You're the only one that gives hope. You're the only one that gives us peace. You're the only one that gives us joy. Everything else that everybody's searching for, it's only gonna fail them, but God never does. But we need to get desperate. I need to get desperate and long for that in our world. And I wanna say for, the, for those of you that maybe have repented, man, it's a great time to use your testimony and say, I wanna get baptized. I wanna follow Jesus. I want the world to know that he is my savior. I want them to know that I have decided to follow Christ because of what he's done in my life. And I tell you what, our world, our world, it's not that big of a risk, right? The only thing we ask you to do is do a video. We just wanna hear your story. And then you get to get on stage and you get dunked in a tank. It's not that big of a deal, right? Some countries, some nations, even in the Bible days, you were disowned. You might've been murdered, right? There was a bigger cost to getting baptized. For us, it's just a little bit of stage fright, right? But if you haven't taken that step, I wanna encourage you. We're behind you. We support you. God is behind you. And he wants to see your story shared so that people can hear how God has touched your life and changed your life so that you can tell people about him. If that's you today, you can go to Connection Central. We'll sign you up. We'll put you on it. April 11th, we're doing it. And I'd love to have the stage filled. The people who said, yeah, I'm following Jesus. And the third thing is we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And I think in America, because of some of the, the uniqueness of things that uh, the giftings of the Holy Spirit, we shy away sometimes of the Holy Spirit. But God, Jesus left earth for the Holy Spirit to come, to empower us to do his good works. So we need to trust that God allows the Spirit to move in us to let us speak to us as we read his word and as we pray, to guide us in our prayers. And as we meet people out and about throughout the, the day and throughout the week, that he would live in our hearts so much that we hear words from God saying, Lord, man, you need to, you need to talk to that person. They need to hear a word of encouragement today. You know what, that scripture I gave you this morning, that was for them because they needed to hear some truth, right? The Holy Spirit, in, at work in us, does amazing things that we, we can never orchestrate ourselves, but God does. So God, I just, help us to do these three things, to repent regularly, to intercede for those around us. God, for those who haven't been baptized, for them to take that next step, God, and for us to rely on your Holy Spirit. And one big thing that I think even as a church that you can be praying for, and I know a lot of you already are, but as we look for a lead pastor, pray that God bring the right person. That as we go about our processes, that we hear God loud and clear. And that as a church, we also pray for this wonderful community of people, Germantown, Matamora, Washington, Eureka, Washburn, 
and all the surrounding communities that there would just be a, a move of God so big that it's nothing we did. It's nothing we did. But it's everything that God has done. That people would come to know him in such a real way that no man could put his finger on it because it's all of God. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, we just thank you for your good work in us. God, help us each and every day to God repent. God, because we are all fallen, but God, you are greater. Lord, I just thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, God, that you just lay a move in our lives in a mighty way. God, let us be just receptive to your promptings as we read your word, as we pray, God, as we intercede for people. God, let us find times and moments, God, where we get to just sit in your presence and you just guide us and lead us. As you put names in our head to speak out, to speak life over and into as you've spoken life into us. God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Lord, you are a good and faithful God and you never leave us. You never forsake us. We thank you for that. God, we give you all the praise and glory. Amen.